Well, good morning. It's good to see y'all this morning. Thankful to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Uh, I'm really excited about this new series. We are going to work our way this summer uh, through the entire book of Daniel. And I'm excited about the opportunity to do that. Today, what I really want us to do is to get oriented with the book of Daniel. I want us to know the setting, uh, some of the key figures and players, who, who is in this book, what is going on. Uh, we've been in 1 John, which is a long time away from what was happening in the book of Daniel. So today, what I, my prayer is that you will leave here this morning, or as you watch with us this morning, that, that by the time we're done with this, that one, you will be really excited and thankful for the mercy that God's given us. But two, that you would be able to tell somebody the setting of the book of Daniel. That you would be able to tell them who it's talking about, and I don't just mean Daniel. That you'd be able to say where they are and what's going on. So that's my prayer this morning, is that we will be thankful for the, to the Lord for His mercy, but that we will also be very familiar with what's happening in the book of Daniel so that we'll be ready as we go throughout this study. So... Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Daniel. Daniel is one of the four major prophets. If you're still looking for Daniel, if you can find Isaiah or Jeremiah, which are really large pieces of Scripture, go just a couple of books past that and you'll find Daniel. So we have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are our four major prophets. They're just before the minor prophets. So Daniel here is a prophet. Uh, Daniel, when we look in the book, the first six chapters, for the most part, are going to be some really exciting and interesting narratives. Some of the stories you have heard and know, uh, the lion's den probably comes to mind, uh, the fiery furnace, you'll know some of these stories in the first half of the book. The last half of the book, for the most part, is apocalyptic scripture, so it will be somewhat similar in language to the book of Revelation. There's a lot in this book, and it's really, really exciting. So let's go ahead and look in Daniel chapter 1 together. I want to read for us this morning the first four verses. So Daniel 1.1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Asphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful, and all wisdom endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So what we see here is the setting. This is what's going on. This is what has just taken place before we actually get to the story of Daniel in Babylon. So I want to kind of work through this text and some of these key figures that we see. So the first one that comes up is in verse 1, and it's King Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim was king of Judah, and just in case you're not real clear, maybe you've had questions in the past about the difference in Judah and Israel, and just a very, very simple 
overview of what we're talking about here. About 300 years before this took place, there was just one nation, and it was called Israel. And we're, for the most part, familiar with Israel. It's God's chosen people in the Old Testament. They're in the Promised Land at this point. But there was a rift, and so the, the country broke into two different nations. The northern part was still called Israel. The southern part was called Judah. So anytime you see the term Judah, it's just a, an independent nation, but it's still God's people. Judah is where the city of Jerusalem is. You see here in Daniel that it even refers to Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim as king of Judah. But then whenever the king is telling his chief eunuch to bring some of the people with him, it refers to it as Israel. So in your mind, if you only think of Israel as being God's people in the Old Testament, that's okay. Just equate Judah with Israel, and that will work just fine for the purposes of this book. So Jehoiakim is king of Judah. He is God's chosen king to be over God's people. He is reigning in Jerusalem. And then we see the next major player that you're going to see a lot about. You won't see Jehoiakim very much other than in this verse in the book of Daniel. But the next guy that we see in verse 1, you will. And that's King Nebuchadnezzar, who it tells us is king of Babylon. So King Nebuchadnezzar, this is Nebuchadnezzar II. He is the strongest king that Babylon will have during their golden age reign right here. But more than you need to know about Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to talk more about him Wednesday night in the teaching video that I'll post online. This past Wednesday we talked about King Josiah. This week we'll talk about King Nebuchadnezzar. But more than knowing about King Nebuchadnezzar today, you need to know about Babylon. What is Babylon? You've probably heard of Babylon. It's an ancient city. It is uh, worldwide famous. Babylon was not just a city at this point in time. It was a nation. Assyria had been the nation that had ruled the world for a while. Assyria had taken over most of the known world until they fought with Babylon. Babylon came and defeated Assyria. And you know what happens when you beat the champ? You get to be the champ. Babylon is the strongest and largest nation in the world at this point in time. So when it says King Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon... This is, he is the king of the largest, strongest nation in the world, in the most glorious city at this point that the world had ever seen. So this is a big deal. And God is going to use King Nebuchadnezzar, the strongest king, a general who had won many battles and wars, a warrior king who was well respected. God is going to use Nebuchadnezzar like a puppet which shows us the strength of our God. The last one that I, the last person I want to see is there in verse 2, where it begins and says, And the Lord. And of course, the major player in the book of Daniel is not Daniel. The major person that this book talks about is not Daniel. It's not Shadrach, it's not Meshach, it's not Abednego. It's the Lord. The Lord is the one that the entire Bible is written about, and it's the one that the book of Daniel is written about. God is the one that's in control of everything that's taking place in the book of Daniel, just as he's in control of everything that's taking place in all of human history. Nothing is outside of the control of the Lord. So here we see 
in verse 2 that the Lord is the one that gave Jehoiakim and Judah into the hand of Babylon. So just don't get mistaken for one moment. If the Lord had wanted Israel, Judah, Jerusalem to defeat Babylon, if he would have wanted his people to defeat the largest, strongest nation in the world, it would have happened. The reason that Babylon was victorious is because God sent Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon to be victorious. So point one this morning, I don't want us to get confused or forget this. God is in control of all things and all people at all times. This, what we see here is not happening because God lost control for a minute. It's not happening because God fell asleep at the wheel and Babylon snuck in and took over. No, this is happening because God chose for this to happen. And we see that in the scriptures as well. So, God sends Nebuchadnezzar and God sends Babylon to defeat his people, to destroy his city, to take over his nation. Why in the world would God do that? Doesn't that sound like a precarious thing to do? That you would use uh, an enemy nation to come in and defeat your people. Well, that's exactly what happened. How God used Nebuchadnezzar to punish Judah is pretty simple. Whenever God sent Nebuchadnezzar, he took his army, the strongest, largest army in the world, and they went to Jerusalem. And we see here that they besieged it, it tells us in verse 1. What does that mean? Basically, they set up a roadblock around the city. Remember, Jerusalem's a large walled-in city. And basically, they just set up a roadblock around the city and said, nothing goes in and nothing comes out. Nobody goes in and nobody comes out. Well, that's a pretty good way to wait somebody out, right? Jerusalem says, we're safe inside of our walls. And Babylon says, until you run out of water and until you run out of food... We'll be here waiting when you're ready. So they besiege the city. They wear down the city. The people are hungry. The people are dying from starvation. And eventually, they have to give in. In 2 Kings, you don't have to turn there, but you can if you'd like. In 2 Kings, we read about these accounts of what took place. In 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, I want to read it to you from 2 Kings as... It's a much better account than I could just give to you myself. 2 Kings 24.10 says this. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiakim, that's the brother of Jehoiakim, who's king now. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths, None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wife, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. They took a lot of people captive. You see what happened is they came in and they besieged the city and they eventually take over the city. And when they took over the city, 
They wanted to make a point. Babylon wanted to make a point so that the people of Judah wouldn't ever try to rebel again. And God has sent him to punish them. And so the punishment is humiliation. And the punishment is that they're no longer in charge and that they're no longer free. You see, God sent Babylon and Babylon came to Judah and took them prisoner. The king, the king's family, all the nobles, all the educated people. All of the craftsmen, all of the carpenters, all of the smiths. You'd have to have a big train if you're going to take all the smiths from around here, wouldn't you? He's talking about blacksmiths. All the skilled people, anybody that was very useful, he took back to Babylon with him. He left the city basically helpless. And so God has now brought this punishment on his people. He has allowed these terrible things to happen to them. And the question that we have to ask is why? Why would God allow his people to be humiliated like that? To be captured, to be taken as captives, kidnapped by an evil king that worshipped false gods. Why would God do that? And if you read 2 Kings and you read 2 Chronicles, you'll understand and you'll know why. But this past Wednesday night, I told you I talked about King Josiah. King Josiah was a good king in Judah. He was the last good king of Judah. But Josiah's dad, Ammon, and, and Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, were not good kings. They had led the people of Judah, they had led God's people to quit worshiping God and to start worshiping idols. They had led the people of God to quit doing the things that God had told them to and to disregard God's law and to disregard God's teaching and to simply live the way that they wanted to live. And now this has caught up with them. Now God is, he's not going to let them continue living like that forever, spitting in his face forever, worshiping idols forever. No, God is now punishing them for these things that they have done. When Josiah was king, it said that they found the book of the law. And when they started to read it to the king, he all of a sudden realized how bad things were. And he realized how bad their punishment was going to be. And so he sent his leaders to a prophetess and, and said, go ask that prophetess what God says. What's he going to do now that we realize all of these bad things we've done? And in 2 Chronicles 34, verses 24 and 25 say this, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. God punished his people because they had turned away from him. They had worshipped other gods. They had made sacrifices to other gods. They had started living the way they wanted to and quit living the way that God wanted them to. And God was not okay with that. So to get their attention, he disciplines them. He punishes them. And how did he do that? By sending Babylon to take them over and to take them captive. Point two. When there is sin, there is punishment. I want you to think about that for a moment. When there is sin, there is punishment. Now, a lot of times we read a story like this that we see in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. We read a book like Daniel, and, 
And the reaction that I hear people say is, Brother Zach, I'm glad that I don't live in Old Testament times. Brother Zach, I'm glad that I didn't live back then because back then God punished people that did wrong. We look at this type of punishment. I mean, can you imagine God sending another, another nation, another group, and they come here and they take us over and they, they take your family and they take them back with them? Right, and they leave the nation in ruins and we have no hope and there's nothing that we can do and they destroy our city and we're devastated. And it happened because of our sin. If every time we sinned, if every time we started worshiping an idol and focusing on something other than God, that happened, brothers and sisters, there wouldn't be any, house, any use in rebuilding our houses because day after day we would be in ruins. So people say, Brother Zach, I'm glad I don't live in the Old Testament times because in the Old Testament times, God punished sin and He punished it with His wrath and with His fury. But I want you to understand this, brothers and sisters, that punishment for sin didn't just end whenever the New Testament came. Whenever Jesus was born and it marked the, the New Testament period, punishment for sin didn't just disappear God didn't just change his mind and say, oh, well, now that Jesus is born, I'm not going to punish people for sin anymore. No, God still has wrath for your sin and for my sin. Now, he's not sending Babylon over here to take us over, praise the Lord. But for every sin that you commit, there is punishment. Point two is, is just as applicable today as it was in this time period. When there is sin in your life and in my life, there is punishment. So you say, Brother Zach, why, hasn't, why haven't terrible things like happened to the people of Judah happened to me? And that's part of God's mercy and that's part of God's grace. That's why the gospel is as beautiful as it is because we realize what we deserve. You see, for all of the wrath of God at our sin, for all of the punishment that we deserve, for the punishment that they deserve, they were punished. But, but for the punishment that we deserve, those of us that are Christians, Jesus was punished. I will never know the wrath of God against my sin because Jesus knew it for me. I will never take that punishment. There won't be another kingdom that will come and take me captive. I won't go to hell and be punished forever. Those are the things that I deserve. But what I've been given instead is forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, when we see the book of Daniel and we realize how terrible the punishment was for sin and how harsh the punishment was for sin, it should make us say even more, thank you God for giving my punishment to Jesus and not giving it to me. Anytime we see in the scriptures the wrath of God being poured out, it should remind us that that's what we deserve. And the only reason that we're not experiencing it is because of the death of Jesus Christ in our place. When he was on that cross, he paid the price for our sins so that you and I, when we respond to him in faith, won't ever have to. Point three, we won't ever experience such wrath and punishment because Jesus did in our place. Ever, we won't ever experience this sort of wrath and this sort of punishment. Not because we haven't sinned, 
Not because we're perfect. Not because God just decided to quit doing that. No, because God gave that punishment that we deserve to Jesus on the cross. All people that die without faith in Jesus, they will experience God's wrath. They will experience God's punishment, and it will be much worse than King Nebuchadnezzar brought to the people of Judah. So that's the macro setting of this book. Big picture. It's around 600 B.C. Babylon is is controlling the world as far as God allows them to. The largest nation, the strongest army in the world. They come and they take over the people of Judah and take them back captive. And that's where Daniel is going to be. Daniel, when we read the book of Daniel, he is in Babylon. The largest, most glorious city that the world had ever seen at this time. Beautiful city. Double walls. 360 watchtowers. The city of Jerusalem was just a... I mean, the city of Babylon was just a little bit smaller than the city limits of Wesson. So you imagine that. The city limits of Wesson being a walled-in city that's completely self-contained. That's how large Babylon was. That's where Daniel is. That's where Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah are. You may not know those guys. You may not know Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, but you probably do know their other names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to read about them. We're going to read about these four young men that have been taken 600 miles from where they grew up to Babylon. We're going to read about what God does in their life. I can't imagine being about 12 years old, is probably what Daniel was, and being ripped from your family and from your home and from everything you know. I mean, taken captive to another city, but that's what we're going to read about. I'll leave you with one last verse, though, as you think, man, how could God do that to a young man like Daniel? How could he allow him to be caught up in this punishment? He wasn't there when they were worshiping those idols, but Daniel 1.9, just a preview for next week, says this, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of of the chief of the eunuchs. Brothers and sisters, I want us to be reminded today that God, even though he may punish us in some ways for a time, he may discipline us, probably not as as directly as he did these people, but one thing that God will never do for his children is leave us. He'll never leave you. When Daniel was in Babylon, God was with him, and it was apparent. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, God will never leave you. You will never be alone. Even if you've lost your job and loved ones and you are sick because of COVID-19, even if you feel like you are being oppressed because you live in a nation that doesn't care for people of your skin color, even if you have lost businesses and things due to riots and protests, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, these things may happen, but God will never leave you. He will be with you. He will continue to walk with you. And every single day, we have reason to praise Him because every single day that we deserve His wrath, we receive His grace because of the death of Jesus Christ. If y'all would join me, and I'd like for us to end by praying this morning. Father God, I am so thankful. I'm thankful for the beautiful picture that we see in the book of Daniel. Lord, how, how you were with this young man, these young men. 
Lord, that, that as they were faithful to you and to your commands, that you continued to protect them and continued to shield them from evil, Father. That you continued to, to use them to show the world how wonderful you are. Father, that, that this punishment that we can't imagine that seems so terrible, Lord, as we see this exile, as we see the people of Judah being taken captive, as we see their city being destroyed and the temple being torn down, Lord, as we see all of these things and we're reminded that your wrath is serious and that your fury against sin is unquenchable. Father, that as we see this, we're reminded that these sort of things are what we deserve. Lord, that we have sinned like the people of Judah, that we have worshipped other things. Father, that we have sacrificed our time and our goods to other things above you at many points in our life. And we deserve the same fate that they deserve and worse. But Lord, we are also thankful this morning that we know that we won't ever experience that wrath. We won't ever experience your unquenchable fury because Jesus already did. Lord, that you took the punishment that I deserve and you put it on your son when he was on the cross. That he paid it completely. Lord, that that ransom is taken care of and now I'm set free. And I promise that I will only be in exile, that I will only be here for a little while, but for all eternity I will be with you in heaven in our true home. Lord, thank you for the beautiful picture of this. Thank you for how clear it is in the book of Daniel. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember these things and to daily be thankful to you, the one that has set us free when we deserve to be captives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Uh, I pray that you have a wonderful week. We will have some more people coming in in just a few moments uh, for the 10 o'clock service inside. Uh, but you're welcome to stick around and visit. If you want to talk to those around you, you're, you're welcome to do that. I think that we have plenty of parking to accommodate both. Uh, again, next Sunday, the plan is to do both as well. We will once again have a 9 o'clock drive-in service as well as a 10 o'clock inside service. This Wednesday night will be online like Wednesday night was last week, and then we'll reevaluate after that. If you have questions, if you have needs, please reach out to the church. Please let us know what we could do for you, how we might serve you, how we might pray for you. But right now, thank you for being here this morning. Y'all be careful going home. I pray that you have a wonderful week.